0: In the marketplace we'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of bottom line faith but for now we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace and now the show that bridges the gap between faith and business welcome to bottom line faith on today's show Ray sits down with dr. Tim Elmore founder and president of growing leaders you know it's
1: time When the negative emotions are so tangible, you start taking it out on other people, like my old boss or my cousin, and you're not mad at them. You're mad because you're not happy not doing what you're called to do.
0: Hello everyone, this is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We are going to be speaking with Dr. Tim Elmore, and I know many of our listeners, you're already familiar with uh, Dr. Tim, but he is the founder and president of Growing Leaders. Let me tell you just a little bit about he and his team there. Uh, they are out of the Atlanta, Georgia area, but they are a nonprofit leadership training and development organization. They really specialize on equipping the next generation and those who guide them, such as educators, coaches, employers, and so forth, training and building up the next generation with leadership skills. Dr. Helmore has authored more than 30 books and a couple that I have read and love and familiar with, Habitudes, Images that Form Leadership Habits and Attitudes, And I love this one, Generation IY, Secrets to Connecting with Today's Teens and Young Adults in the Digital Age. And his latest book is Marching Off the Map, Inspire Students to Navigate a Brand New World. Folks, we are so honored today to welcome to the show Dr. Tim Elmore. Tim, welcome to Bottom Line Faith.
1: Thank you, Ray. It's always good to talk to you.
0: Well, Tim, uh, I've, I've been a big fan and a big follower for a number of years, and you really have honed in. God has called you in a unique way. Tell us a little bit about this passion for developing young leaders. Where did that come from, and, and how you see God using you and your team at Growing Leaders? Wow.
1: Huge question. Thanks for the big one, Ray, right away.
0: Ray.
1: <laughs> um, I, um, I think it really has been an evolution. I wish I could tell you I had a strategic plan when I was 19 years old. But I knew, I, I tell you what, Ray, I did know at 19, when I began to work with students, I still was a college student, but again, I began to work with high school students. I realized at that point, this is where I want to give my life. I knew that students were moldable and shapeable. And even though my circle of influence would expand as I got older, I just thought, this is a key place to to give myself. Fast forward, 1983, I go on staff with Dr. John Maxwell. So John is known as a leadership guru, and he was even then, but he wasn't really famous yet back then. So I I started right out of college, and I was one of three or four that he personally mentored. And because of his leadership bias, if I can say it that way, I not only knew I wanted to focus on the next generation, but I wanted to take leadership to them. Mm -hmm. What John was doing for corporate America, I wanted to do for the emerging generation, that 22-year-old employee who hasn't made all the mistakes yet, you know, that you and I made. And uh, I thought, what could it be like if we... I'll tell you a phrase I like to use. What would it look like if we built a fence at the top of the cliff rather than a hospital at the bottom? (laughs) You follow what I'm saying? We're constantly repairing what's broken. What if we kept it from getting broken? So I just feel like preparing wonderful servant leaders, wow. uh, life-giving leaders out of the next generation could actually change the course of history. So that's that's what we're about, and that's kind of the evolution that took place over time. Growing Leaders, of course, started in 2003 uh, with John's blessing. I'd worked for him for 20 years, and really, uh, it's just been fun to see it take off. And as you said, we partner with great, great companies and schools around the world to just try to help them better prepare
0: leaders. Well, you know, I, I think that is so incredible that really at a young age and a young part of your career, God made your pathway, he, yeah. he at least revealed a passion and something yes. for you to yes. really focus in on. So before we get into too much of the blocking and tackling around that, I'm hoping you can help me. Clarify something. I hear so many terms today. I hear terms like millennials, Gen Y, Gen IY, and so yeah. forth. And I've been looking forward to you and I talking because I'd like you to clear that up for me. Would you help me understand kind of the breakdown of these different terms and generations we're hearing so much about today? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I first of all, I hate to um, take of myself as an expert because I think it's <laughs> such a moving target, but I try <laughs> to keep my ear to the ground. First of all, for listener's sake. A generation is usually defined by markers. There are usually markers at the beginning of a generation that something changed in society, and then usually a marker at the end of that generation where, again, a change happens and it seems to catapult us into a new way of thinking. So the millennials actually started in the early 80s. They're basically the kids born in the 80s and 90s. And the primary shifts that took place were parental, parenting styles changed radically in the 80s and 90s. In fact, I'm sure you've seen it without even maybe knowing it. you've seen it. We, we began to prioritize that our kids are our trophies and we're going to keep them safe. And we had baby on board signs in the back of the minivan. And, you know, we had diaper changing tables in the public restrooms. Yeah, yeah. Everything society was saying was, these kids are priority. And then we started getting really crazy At Little League Baseball games, you know, and we're more intense about them than the kids just go, man, I just want an ice cream cone when this thing is over, you know, but it's the dads that are so crazy. So the marker for the millennials was the parental change that happened in the 80s and 90s. And so now, Ray, we're beginning to see a new generation following the millennials. They're called a number of different names, the centennials. They start about the new century, Generation Z following Generation Y. Some call them the Homelanders because their generation started at about the same time as the Department of Homeland Security. Hmm. So um, we have another mindset, terrorism and racial unrest and uh, sour economy and unemployment. All the things that have happened in the last 15 to 18 years have made it a little bit, um, just a little different. So Gen Z grows up with more angst and anxiety and depression than the millennials did in the 80s and 90s. So I'll stop there, but that's kind of how they're marked and how it kind of at least helps explain why a mindset in a teenager might be a little different than maybe it was
0: in the 90s. Thank you. That's very helpful and clarifying. And so there's a lot of, you know, I think I'm, I'm by the way, I'm finding as I get older, I'm sounding more and more like my grandfather growing yes, up. Yes, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, now there you know the problem with this next generation and so forth. So we 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 hear yeah. these issues, we hear words like entitlement. We hear words like Spoiled, and Snowflake, and all these descriptors, but it really does come down a lot to parenting, right? Some of the styles and the things that we're passing along. Would you just offer a comment or thought or two around that whole idea or concept?
1: Absolutely. It really is. By the way, I think today we have the most intentional population of parents that I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I'm I'm 58, but I think sometimes our intentionality uh, pushed us into over-functioning. Uh, we prepared the path for the child instead of the child for the path, if you know what I mean, mm. um, instead of letting them maybe fall down and skin their knee and learn not to fall down, we we kept them from skinning their knee. You know, we kept them from, you know, from anything bad happening. In fact, I'll I'll, I'll give it to you in short. I think the concerns I have with parents today is we risk too little, we rescue too quickly, and we rave too easily with our kids and all of them are well-intentioned. But when we risk too little, my gosh, I think I think risk is what makes us adult. Uh, our country was founded on risk, wasn't it? America was an experiment in 1776. We didn't know what would happen, but we, we thought it could work, and it did. Mm-hmm. But I think we're taking away risk out of our kids' lives. We rescue too quickly. We're running that permission slip down to when they forgot it in third grade or, or the gym shorts down they forgot. And I'm thinking, Are they ever going to learn if mama is always rescuing them when it's time now at 10 years old or whatever to to learn to do it yourself? I feel like we're a well-intentioned population of parents that probably did too much in many cases. And now we're sometimes seeing a delay in maturation. Um, 26 is the new 18, I hear university deans saying. So um, I think it's time for us now to call out the very best in kids and, and call them out to be leaders.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate that, and, and I'll just share this. You know, I'm a parent of, of three now, teenagers. I have a 19 year old sophomore in college, 17 year old okay. senior in high school, and a 14 year old freshman in high school. And wow, w- we are in a new day and age as parents too. And I'd love you to just talk a little bit about what you're learning, what you're seeing, and maybe some words of encouragement because you know many of our listeners obviously are parents and so forth. But in this day of technology, social media, yeah. Um, what thoughts or insights towards parents could you offer? And I know you write entire books on this and travel and speak on this, but maybe just kind of hit some bullet points on some advice for parenting in today's sure. technology-laden world. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, uh, let me add again, Ray, I really don't consider myself a parenting expert, but I do have the undeserved privilege of being with thousands of parents and faculty and students every year. And so I get to I get to see the macro, I think, of the trends and patterns. First of all, let's talk about technology. I think everybody listening would agree technology is a blessing and a curse.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean it's just it's marvelous that we can do the things we can do with a portable device in our hand. What we didn't see coming was how it might reduce our emotional intelligence, our social intelligence. You know, we're good on a screen at fifteen years old, but we're not really good sometimes face to face with real people. Yeah. So uh, when my kids were growing up, I saw this coming. I mean, because of what I do, I could see the handwriting on the wall. So here's what my wife and I did. We said, all right, kids, however many hours you have in front of a screen, you're going to have equal amount of hours face-to-face with real people, you know, reading body language, looking at facial expressions, learning to read a person. So my son would have two hours on a video game. We made sure he had two hours with, you know, with friends, real friends, face to face with people. When they were eight and 12 years old, Ray, we started noticing that their emotional intelligence was not growing the way we thought it really should be. And so instead of a lecture, which by the way wasn't working when mm-hmm. I gave a lecture on this
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, at dinner time, my wife and I decided we would have a party or two at our house for our adult friends. And then we ask our 12-year-old and our 8-year-old to host the party. And at first they went, oh my gosh, this is so stupid. But you know what they learned to do? Host a party. They would answer the door. Hi, Mr. Johnson. Come on in. Have you met Mrs. Smith? Can I take your coat? Would you like some iced tea? And then afterwards, our discussion was so rich because it was based on an experience. And by the way, it was harder than they thought it would be. You know, it sounded really dumb at first. And they realized, oh my gosh, hosting is hard. But they'd learned to to host conversations. And one of our habitudes is called hosts and guests. In a relationship, are you the host of the guest? We wanted our kids to learn to be hosts, not just guests. It's easy to be a guest. So anyway, I think we need to be intentional creating experiences for our kids, teenagers or otherwise, where we then have conversations about that experience. We'd go down and feed the homeless. And then we talk about, man, people live that way and it smells bad and it's hard and they don't have money and Aren't you grateful for our home, and how could we give our lives to this kind of thing? You know, those kinds of things. But I think I want to go to a lecture all the time, and I think lectures don't work as well as as real experiences. Here's the way I always say it. Kids are not looking for a sage on the stage with a lecture or a sermon. I do think they're looking for a guide on the side with an experience. So I think that's what I would say to parents. Let's be experiential and then have great conversations about those experiences.
0: I'm so encouraged by that. About a month ago, I took my two teenage daughters, and they could each bring uh, a couple of friends, and we spent two days at an amusement park. Fine. And I said, we're only going to have two rules for the two days. Is The first rule is, we're going to stay together. We're going to stay together. Good. The second rule is, we are locking up our cell phones and devices, and for two entire days, wow. we're going to experience this with zero technology, and that means... Like, rather than spending all the time figuring out the right pictures, we're going to sear memories into our minds. Love it. And we worked a plan. Hey, if we get separated, here's how we're going to reconnect and so forth. And Tim, it was so cool. About three hours into the first day, we're sitting down. We're just getting a beverage. And all of us, you know, my my girls and their friends and I were sitting at this table in the middle of this amusement park. And I said, so, what reflections do you have on your first three hours together? And every single one of them said... It feels so good to not be chained to our phones. Yes. They said that, right? And I'm going, oh my, I've been saying this for years and you finally got it. Yeah. (laughs) But the point was, to your point, they tied it to that experience and they were just talking and laughing and enjoying one another and... that's good stuff. That's real good stuff. Yeah. Tim, if our listeners want to learn more about you and your organization, what's the best way for them to check check you all out? Yeah,
1: um, probably the simplest way, Ray, would just be go to our website. It's growingleaders.com, right. growingleaders.com. And then um, I do a blog three times a week if they wanted to stay in touch. I try to share research-based stuff uh, on a morning blog Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, so they can sign up on the site if they want to.
0: And we didn't talk about this prior to this conversation, but it's one of the best blogs you're going to read. I read it faithfully occasionally I miss when I'm traveling, but it is one of the blogs that I follow closely, and and it it is fantastic. Great parenting tips, great leadership tips. And I'd love to, if we could, Tim, just transition a little bit. Let's talk about faith and work. Let's talk about living out our faith in the marketplace. That's what we're about here at Bottom Line Faith. And so you shared earlier in our conversation that you you made this transition into a different world, into the marketplace from, quote-unquote, church-type ministry— what was that like for you? What adjustments did you have to make, and you know, maybe different language, terminology? Just walk us through that.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the hardest decisions I ever made was was that transition to start growing leaders and to make it a a a thing that we would go into the marketplace, state universities, companies, uh, civic organizations, public schools. Um, the thing that made it hard, right, was two. One was I was leaving the security of working for John Maxwell. Yes. And you can imagine it was just it was a fun place. He paid me well. It was it was secure.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: anytime you become an entrepreneur, you leave the secure for the insecure. You know, you're you're going into an area where you say, I hope to God this works, but you know, I don't have any, you know, are we gonna put food on the table? So um that was part of the deal, was just moving into um uh, an unknown world, marching off the map, you might say, <laughs> in some yes. ways for me. Yes. But then the language thing, you know, I had been with John in a faith-based setting, a church and then a nonprofit, and now there I was at, at Virginia Tech or Ohio State University or, um, you know, a company, Home Depot, and um, talking, needing to use language that was different than, than it would have been in church. But my, I wanted them to see my heart, that this was leadership with soul. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just transactional. It wasn't just do these three steps and you'll be a great leader. I don't think leadership is that simple. Um, It's not just behaviors, there's something inside that I think God has to do to make us life giving leaders. So I think the big jump for me was learning to find words that anybody would understand, but that would still communicate the big idea that I think our Heavenly Father wants to communicate, that might not come from, uh, you know, can I say it, a secular
0: organization? No, yeah.
1: no Nothing wrong with that. Right, but right, right. I wanted to add value in a brand new area that maybe wasn't yet being shared.
0: Well, I want to come back to that, but you said something I'd love to go back and, and revisit, because one of the primary goals and hopes that we have here at Bottom Line Faith, Tim, is that if even just one of our listeners listens to these conversations and they get encouraged or inspired to take that next step or you know become m- more of who and what God has called them to be as a leader. And so, yeah, I am sure that there's at least one person listening right now who's who's feeling that calling, feeling that prompting to move over into some new venture, mm-hmm. some yeah. new cause, some new project, m- maybe starting a company. You can give us a word from experience. Tell us a little bit more about that and then what encouragement would you have? For that person that's listening to kind of help them walk through that that journey?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. When I look back on my journey, I think there was a three-year process, Ray, where it was percolating inside of me that maybe I was supposed to get out of the nest, you know what I mean? Yeah. The comfortable nest with the feathers and everything else. And when I say three-year journey, I think I was noodling on it. I think the Holy Spirit was prompting me. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize, but you and I both believe there's a divine thing going on sometimes when we're called to take another step. Yeah. And um, I, I think I went through this process where I had to overcome fear. I was scared. In fact, I think I actually started growing leaders a year later than God was prompting me. But I was scared. I was just scared. And thank God I still started it, and He I was still smiling on me. But looking back, I was a little bit of a Jonah. Saying, oh, I'm doing great work with John Maxwell. I'm writing for him, and you know, blah blah blah. You know, I had my little debate thing going on inside my head. But when I did start it, it was the tail end of three year journey, and what I needed was I finally needed some compadres, some people, friends, if you will, that would look from the outside in and say, you need to do this. I hear you talk about it. I hear you complain. And you, by the way, here's another thing. You know, it's time. When the negative emotions are so tangible, you start taking it out on other people, <laughs> like my old boss or my... Co- and you're not mad at them. You're mad because you're not happy not doing what you're called to do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it feels like you're mad at Harry or Bob or Susie. You're really not, but you're, you're I don't know, boiling inside. You're, the crockpot's going, and it's hot, and, and God's saying, get out, do this. And uh, so I needed some friends. I needed some time. Uh, but eventually, I realized I will be absolutely discontent if I just stay here in this comfortable
0: place. Yeah. Hopefully, that's that's helpful. It's very helpful, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth here. But I, perhaps even beyond discontent, perhaps disobedient. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yes, you, I think I would have been. Yeah, because you yeah. had that prompting and that and that stirring. Tim, go back. What what was the fear? Was it just a failure that you maybe weren't hearing from God that you didn't have what it would take? What was the fear? Yeah, it, it's
1: a great it's a great question. And of course, now I look around us, we're really doing well. And I think, why was I afraid? Right. I think it was two things. If I'm really, really honest with you and really vulnerable with you. I looked at the mentor I had that I'd worked for for twenty years, John Maxwell. Who can do mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, here I had this high bar, and I'm thinking, if I go out and do a do what I can do, it's going to be so less, yeah. you know. But it's okay. That's the I had to be okay with with not putting on Saul's armor. You know, I was David, and I couldn't wear Saul's armor was too big for me. So I, I, that was one of my fears. And then secondly, I have a wonderful wife. But she would be less risky mm-hmm. than me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Less apt to just, hey, let's just wing it here yeah. and try this, you know? And so I wanted to make sure I could somehow assure her that we're going to have yeah. food on the table and we're gonna you know what I'm saying, pay the mortgage, yeah. uh, raise the two yeah. children yeah. we have. So I think those were the tangible fears that I finally just overcame and realized we're gonna do this together. We jumped off the cliff and by golly, there was a parachute, <laughs> you know that sort of thing.
0: Well, as I was listening, to you talk about you know with your bride, you know Dave Ramsey says that's that security button that God has wired most of our wives with, and yeah, and um, something you said there that I what you yep. talked about that was that comparison. I recently had a chance to uh, interview Dayton Moore, who's the general manager of the Kansas City Royals.
1: Oh, I'm good oh, friends with Dayton. He's a he's great amazing. Guy. He's
0: amazing, and he talked about in that conversation that perhaps. One of the greatest obstacles to greatness for us as individuals in what God's calling us to do is comparison of our calling and gifting to someone else's. And, And so would you just take a moment then to just offer up a word of encouragement to that listener right now who, they're gripped in fear, they're gripped in insecurity, just give them a word of encouragement. What do they need to hear right now?
1: Yeah, I just think that we've got to be ourselves because everybody else is taken. You know, when I try to emulate someone else, I can emulate the principles that they have lived by, but I've got to become comfortable in my own shoes. So I used the analogy before about David and Saul, and you know, Ray, I was talking about the, the day he fought Goliath. Yeah. You know, Saul offered his armor to this teenager, and David tried it on out of respect, but thought, I'm sure this is helpful for you to keep you safe, but it's so big, I don't think I fit into it. Hmm. Uh, and then Ray, I think about what Jesus Himself said to Simon Peter. Do you remember when right after He He was He was raised from the dead, Jesus that is, He's talking to Simon Peter, and if you remember, right before He ascends into heaven in this conversation, Peter is being told by Jesus what He's going to do in mm-hmm. His future. Peter looks over at John, his fellow disciple, and says, "Well, what about him?" <laughs> and I'm thinking, I think Peter was doing the comparison thing. If this is going to happen to me, what about him? Hoping Jesus would say, well, he's not going to do as much as you, Peter, because you're awesome. But, you know, <laughs> but you know what Jesus, you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, if I want him to stay until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. Wow. And I think the word of encouragement I would say to any person listening is, if Jesus were to look at you right now in this comparison trap you fall into, he would say, who cares what I'm doing? <laughs> you Follow me. That's the report card you're going to face in the end. Is what you did with you, not how much you copied John Maxwell, Stephen Covey, Jim Collins, whoever. And I've had to, I've had to get used to that myself.
0: That is such, such a good word. That that's. Gold, gold, gold wisdom. Thank you. That's great. And I'm, yeah, uh, if I'm quiet on my end, it's not only listen, I'm taking great notes. And I'm sure, I hope our listeners are too, just not while they're driving, of course. But, um, <laughs> yeah. well, well, Tim, I'd, I'd like to just transition into a, a, another section here, kind of like advice and insights. Okay. You've been at this, uh, f- how, how, 15 years, 16 years? Yeah. Yeah. Since 2003. Yep. Very good. And so, as you look back, um, leading this organization, growing an organization, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you made along the way, and what lesson did you learn from it?
1: Mm. Wow, where do I begin? I feel like I've made several, Ray. Probably the biggest one for me, and this is going to sound ironic because of what we do, but I I took my eyes off of developing my team members. I was so busy on the road. I'll do about 120 events wow. this year, and I just felt like I, you know, my tongue was hanging out. But I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. Uh, so here I was telling everybody else to develop leaders, and I had team members starving. Well, I shouldn't say they're starving. They, we have a lunch and learn every Monday here. When I'm in town, um, I, I'm there to lead it. But I feel like one of my mistakes was I was beginning to to cease doing the very thing that we were founded on. And I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. But I'm telling you, I'm committed to that. In fact, I, was, I feel like now, if it doesn't work at home, I can't export it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to try to export anything. It's not working right here, either in my family or in the, in the organization now, growing leaders. So that would be one, to Take my eyes off. And I tell you what, I had some hard conversations, and we even lost a team member because we weren't the group that he thought we should be. And it was a wonderful way. Now, this is a while back, but yep. it was a great wake-up call that we need to do what we're saying. So that was that would probably be my, my big mistake that comes to my mind first.
0: I think that is a huge lesson that uh, I would actually submit that very very few of us would say we haven't made that mistake. And you know, it's 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 great to be perceived as the living it out, but yeah, yeah, talk to the people that are closest to it. That's the real test. Yeah, that's the real test. Yeah. And so in 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 light of that, then I'd like you to kind of think back to that you. You know, back when you made that transition, you came out of ministry, you went into work with uh, John Maxwell, and then began to birth this new thing, this new organization. So at that point, you truly became an entrepreneur, no doubt about it. It, did, yeah. it didn't matter it was a non yeah. You were an entrepreneur. You were starting something new. So what do you wish, you know, looking back now, what do you wish that someone had told you in that first year of being a faith-driven entrepreneur? What, what advice do you wish you would have been given?
1: A mm, couple things come to my mind. One is, you got to go slow to go fast. I feel like, probably based on my time with John and my hardwiring and my own brain, I want to go fast. I want to do a lot now. You know, I want to change the world by noon on Friday, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think I really believe that Jesus taught, and I believe it works, period, that you got to go slow at first to go fast, tweak the recipe, get it right. You know, I think of Truett Cathy, who had one restaurant for 10 years before he ever started another Mm Chick-fil-A, you know, that sort of thing. So I wish I would have known, you got to go slow to go fast, get it right. Don't worry about having 100 partners in the beginning. Get it it done right at first. In fact, I'll give you a good example. When I did learn this, you mentioned Dayton Moore. Uh, The Kansas City Royals use our habitudes with their minor league teams we started working with them in 2008, so 10 years ago. I remember talking to uh, J.J., who is his assistant general manager, and we talked about how we just focus on the Royals and the Texas Longhorns. That was our two athletic yep. teams. One was a college team, one was a pro baseball team. But we said, let's just work on these two, not 100 others, not yeah. you know Ohio State yeah. yet or anything. And Ray is, is the wisest thing we'd ever done because we did it well with those two, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think. And then we were able to scale. So go slow, go fast. I think you got to start small and not worry about starting small, um, especially if a listener right now is has a type A mindset, a high D mindset. Remember what the prophet Amos said, God does not despise small beginnings. Mm-hmm. Jesus started with 12 disciples, not 1,200. In fact, he ended with 11 he had 11 of these, right. you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you think this thing isn't working, but boy, did it work because he was willing to focus on a few. One phrase I've come to love, maybe this will be helpful to somebody, more time with less people equals greater kingdom impact. More time with less people equals greater kingdom impact. I have come to believe that, and I still, to this day, mentor a handful of people because I, I just believe that's where you go deep and you really multiply
0: and that's so counterintuitive to what we're hearing in the culture, right? Yeah. About scale, 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 and viral. That's the oh word we gosh, have going yes. viral. Yeah. yeah. But I love that. It's not only biblical, but yeah. it's proven. <laughs> <It's, laughs> yeah. both go hand in hand. There. Well, well, Tim, as we're we're winding down here, what advice or encouragement would you give to someone who's listening to our conversation who wants to do a be more effective in integrating their faith or living out their faith in the marketplace? You mentioned mm-hmm. the, the types of yeah. language that you're, you know, need to use to reach yeah. that audience. Yeah. What advice or insights would you offer there?
1: Um, I think my thought, in addition to me having to change my language to make sure I'm saying things that people get and understand, um, I think another one is that I had to learn was the, the love language of the marketplace out there is added value. So if I walk into a a potential partner organization and I live by values and add value, I'm going to be speaking their love language. I'm going to gain their respect because I live by a standard, a value. Even if they disagree with it, they go, well, I respect you for living by that. And then I add value. If I can add value, I'm telling you, I get permission to say almost anything I want to say. So I'll be at state universities, and I'll be with, let's say, student-athletes at a Division One program, and there's 300 student-athletes, and I'm adding value, and they're writing down notes, and we're laughing together, and then someone says, where'd you get all this? And I might say, well, it's going to shock you. Well, now I've got their attention, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I say, it's actually the Scriptures. Faith plays a huge role in my life, and blah, 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 but I'm answering a question I didn't preach. But when they've they've gotten added value, they're going, I don't know where you got this, but I want to drink that too, you know, or whatever. So I feel like I would just encourage people out there, whatever product or service you're offering, make sure it is the best. You're just best in class and you're adding so much value. They want to ask you what's behind all of this. And that is when in America, in 21st century, we get the permission to to share the
0: gospel. Absolutely huge. I, w- I just want to repeat that for our listeners, that the love language of the marketplace equals added value. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what
0: a nugget, what a yeah. nugget. Well, well, Tim, my goodness, I hope maybe someday we can coerce you to come back for part two of this conversation, because we've just scratched the surface on you know, parenting and developing young leaders and so forth, so the good news is uh, folks can go to your website and subscribe to your blog and get all kinds of resources, but maybe, just maybe, I can coerce you to come back for part two someday. Sure, absolutely. It'd be fun to talk to you. Uh, that, thank you. You've been so <laughs> you gracious. Bet. So as we wind down our time together today... Uh, our regular listeners know this is always the last question that I love to ask here at Bottom Line Faith, and it's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where Solomon writes these words, where he says, Above all else, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. So, Tim, what I'd like you to do as we wind down our conversation today is I'd like you to kind of fill in the blank. You've got a chance, you know, it's the end of your time, this side of eternity, and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those that are most precious to you, and you're going to get an opportunity to pass along one singular paramount piece of advice. So would you just fill in the blank for us, Tim, above all else? Wow.
1: Well, as you well know, Ray, I'm sure you've asked this many times and gotten many great answers. There's many things that come to my mind, but I guess one that sticks out would be above all else, lead yourself first. I have a leadership organization. I've been inspired by other leadership organizations, but when I've ever stumbled and fallen, it's been because I have neglected to lead me before I've led anybody else or to lead me before I've trained anybody to lead someone else. Uh, self-leadership, I know I'm not the first to say it, nor the last, but it is the first step. I've, the first person I ever heard say this was D. Hawk, the founder of Visa International. But he said, I spend 50% of my time on leading me. And he said, when I find that I lead me really well, the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the you know, just the stuff that makes us respectful, uh, or respected, I should say other people following us comes naturally. Mm. I mean, people want to follow somebody they admire, so um, I guess I would just end with that. Lead yourself first. Don't worry about anybody else yet, yet. Lead yourself first, and watch how others say,
0: I want to follow too. Incredible insights. Dr. Tim Elmore, thank you, thank you for the investment of your time here with us at Bottom Line Faith today.
1: Ray, it's been great. You're fun to talk to. I was enjoyed. And um, yeah, I'll look forward to another time where we get you to, to do it again.
0: Well, folks, there you have it. Our friend, Dr. Tim Elmore, president and founder of Growing Leaders out of the Atlanta, Georgia area. Please, please check out their website at growingleaders.com. Many resources there the books that I mentioned in the introduction, as well as you can subscribe to uh, Dr. Elmore's blog that comes out several times a week so folks you know here at bottom line faith we desire to bring you the finest thought leaders and marketplace influencers through a biblical lens and through a biblical worldview and I, I suspect you are excited like me to know that God has and is placing individuals like dr. Elmore strategically in the marketplace. So we're so grateful for that. But guess what? He's placed you strategically as well. God has given you a call. So that really is our desire here at Bottom Line Faith is to encourage you and to inspire you to do that. And so if you're a Christ-centered business owner, you'd like to learn about possibly participating in a roundtable, check out our site at truthatwork.org and learn about one of the roundtables where you can connect with other like-minded Christ followers in business and learn how to better live out your calling in your business and marketplace as well. Also, the main thing you could do for us here today is go online and give us a positive review. We we treasure those reviews. It helps to give more exposure to the program here at Bottom Line Faith, and it really helps our web presence as well. That's what you can do for us as well as praying that God would continue to bless the ministry here at Bottom Line Faith. So there you have it, folks. Until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to effectively live out your faith every day at work. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google
1: Play and iTunes.